damn, not even a 27 to nothing halftime lead is safe in this NFL. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Mid-Range Game Podcast. I'm your host, Ole Defense 1033, also known as Theo out there outside of the Matrix. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Enjoyed the NFL action. Also had some NBA action as well. But specifically for this show, even though it's the mid-range game, it's a basketball-driven show. I love football, and I'm going to talk some football on this podcast. So let me jump in it. Uh, Wild card weekend. Um, crazy, crazy-ass weekend. Uh, I'm going to start off um, with <laughs> the, the Chargers. How do you blow a damn 27 to nothing halftime lead with bad play calling, bad game management from your head coach, from your offensive coordinator? And, and you know, I know people coming for Herbert or whatever, and, you know, he gets a, a part of the blame. However, when you're not put in a position uh, to succeed, I don't care how talented you are as a quarterback, you know, if you're not put in a position to succeed, it's hard to overcome the circumstances and I think that's what happened like you know that game was a lesson in momentum and how momentum can be a motherfucker and you know my son had a basketball uh, game a playoff game you know this past Saturday and you know he it was a playoff game um, but um, they were going up against the number one team in their division his team was undefeated and you know, his team has two losses. Anyway, long story short, like, you know, fourth quarter, they're actually right there in the game. Uh, and then, like, a foul happened, and it was a taunt. And then all of a sudden, like, the kids got riled up. Crowd got into the game. It completely switched momentum. You know, my son's team had this team on the ropes. You know, they were only down by two uh, when this happened. They had them on the ropes. They had momentum. And just that one play cause momentum to completely switch and next thing you know the other team is fired up their fans are fired up uh and then the the momentum is fed into by my son's team because they just did not take smart shots down the stretch they had turnovers and you know two-point lead basically ended up being a 14-point lead in a matter of a couple of minutes and it, everything just continued to snowball from there. But, you know, that he got a lesson in how momentum can be a motherfucker. It's like, if you don't, if you're not smart about how you break the momentum, it can take you right out of the game. And once, once it gets started, it's extremely hard to reverse that momentum. And that's what happened to the damn Chargers. Uh, the Jaguars, uh, much respect to the Jags. Uh, you know, you look at the job that Doug Peterson has done with this team, you know, considering like where they were with Urban Meyer, uh, Trevor Lawrence, um, to have the first half he had and but then have the have the the intangibles, have the self-belief not to to get down on himself, but to turn it around. You know, when things are going bad, they can easily snowball. It's much easier for them to snowball and get worse than it is to reverse course and turn things around. And, you know, it was just a great job by Peterson, their coaching staff, the players. Uh, they just they got they got better as the game went on. And and they were helped by the Chargers, of course, um, you know, just their play calling and just, you know, bad decision making from their HC and. And um, I don't know how the hell this dude survives <laughs> uh, this this offseason. I'm not a, I'm, I'm, like I said before on plenty of episodes, I ain't the one that's going to be calling for people jobs. That's not that's not my place as a fan. But I can only imagine if you're a Charger fan at the, you know, your coach, head coach costs you at least like two games out of a year at the very least, just with bad game management and just bad just going bad decision making you know going for two all way like when it just doesn't make sense you know just you know little things like that that can cost you a game or two and in the nfl every game matters man because just that game or two the Chargers could have fucked around had home who knows they could have had home field advantage you know something like this momentum is definitely easier for you to control being a home team you know versus you being on the road especially once those fans get into it um, so yeah, um, 
bad, just bad loss for the Chargers, man. Uh, great win for the for, um, the Jags. They're gonna face KC next week, and actually, I'm I'm not gonna go into that game yet, but uh, I think that that might be just off the top of my dome. Just how with the I'm just picturing with the way the Jazz play and the way KC play. I think that's gonna be a closer game than than people think it think it will. Uh, 49ers take care of business against the Seahawks. Uh, it was a close game up until the uh, Boza forced, forced the uh, fumble on um, Geno uh, in the red zone, and then it just it was just over from there. Uh, but I think if you're a 49er fan, my biggest takeaway was what the fuck was Cal Shanahan doing? You know, it was like Cal Shanahan transformed into Mike Martz. You know, for much of the first half, just with the play calling, uh, just. I thought it was just too much passing early on, and I and Brock Purdy got away with about three or four interceptions in the first half uh, that Seattle could catch. I mean, could have completely changed the game. Uh, but overall, man, if you're a Niners fan, you got to feel great about your team, man. They just they're just rolling right now. Um, to me, this is the most complete team uh, in the league. You know, eleven straight. Um, you know, you can get their defense, their offense, uh, and the, the combination of the two. They're they're the most balanced to me. They're the most da- balanced team and the best team in it in uh, the the league right now. They're to me, they're the front runner, even with Purdy. As long as Shanahan forgets that you know he's Mike Shanahan's son, and remember to keep things balanced, as opposed to thinking he's Mike Martz or whatever, and just fucking throwing the ball all over the field, just with no sense of time. As long as he remembers that he's Mike Shanahan's son and, and he's Kyle Shanahan and they run the football and play action too, you know, they'll be fine. Cowboys take care of business against the Bucks. Woo, man, they whooped the Bucks ass. That was an ass whooping of epic proportions. And you know what? The Cowboys did exactly what they should have done. You know, you look at you look at the two teams on paper, you know, the Cowboys should have beaten this damn Bucks team soundly. The only reason I think we gave the Bucks, and myself included, we gave the Bucks a a good chance was because of Brady. You know, we ignored the Bucks what they've been this whole season, you know, just a mess offensively, you know, big plays allowed defensively at the wrong times. You know, we ignored that no running game to speak of. They got the worst. They might have the worst running game I've seen in the, in the National Football League in my 30 years of watching this shit. They can't, man, they can barely pick up two yards. That's how, and it's not the backs. It ain't the backs. Fournette and them, and them boys, they good enough to get you four yards to carry. It's their old line. They got to do something with that shit. That old line is, is bad. And I know they had a lot of injuries up front. Um, but they, that's, that's to me, when I'm going to get Tampa, uh, that's, that's their biggest area of concern. They got to do something with that old line. And I know the, they just fired left, which, um, their OC, well, their XOC, but it's like, okay, you fired them, but it's like, what exactly can you do as an offensive coordinator? If your offensive line can't block for two seconds, you know, you, you can't run, you can't get two yards on the ground. Okay. You, you can't pass for anywhere past 10 yards because your offensive line isn't going to hold up. So basically, everything is going to be dink and dunk. And that's basically what the Bucks were. And, you know, you can't it's hard to do shit when your offensive line is 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 that beat up and that bad. So much respect to the Cowboys. Uh, this was the by far the best game I've ever seen Dak Prescott play. He was impressive. The Cowboys as a whole were impressive, and they took care of business. And um, I think this is going to go a long way. This win, just getting this win, and as dominant as they were, uh, just getting this win over this over their belt is going to set up um, really an epic game. And I think this game for me, this game is the whoever wins this game is going to the Super Bowl to me. Uh, we got Cowboys versus 49ers rematch in the playoffs. Um, rematch from last season. Rematch from the 90s. Uh, oh, man, I love me some 49ers and Cowboys. Uh, whenever they get together in the playoffs, man, it's always a great game. Uh, just a historic rivalry going back from 
Montana, you know, when he beat the Cowboys and made to went to go to the Super Bowl, win his first chip, and you know, Young and his struggles against the Jimmy Johnson Cowboy teams, and and even us and the Packers, you know, we struggled against the Cowboys a couple of years, and um, you know, in the early '90s, and and you know, and then. You know, we just had uh, last year the, the kind of the rivalry we knew. So uh, this is like a historic rivalry. This is a uh, I don't know if it's low key or not, but to me, this is like one of the greatest rivalries in the game, in the history of foot of the NFL, uh, Cowboys and Niners, because when these teams play, when they get together, it's, it's a championship at stake always. Um, and this is going to be no different. I, this is actually the game that I'm looking the most forward to, uh, just as a football fan, as a fan of uh, football history. Uh, Bengals hang on and survive the Ravens. Uh, I thought, all things considering, uh, the Ravens played a hell of a game. And I think this game said a lot about the heart and just the mental toughness of the Bengals just to hang in there. Um, and... I thought the Ravens really for much of the game were just kind of outplayed them. And, and the Cincinnati Bengal offensive line is basically kind of back to what they were last year. We, obviously, with injuries and inconsistency. Uh, but as we seen last year, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody can fucking defy logic and just get continue to get shit done with a bad offensive line, it's Joe Burrow, man. He did it last year. And, you know, he don't give a fuck. He don't give a damn how many times he got to pick himself off the turf, man, to 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 stay in that pocket and deliver the ball. He going to stay in that pocket and deliver the ball, man. He's tough as hell. And the Bengals, as a team, is a very tough and resilient team. Um, and to me, like I, like I said last week, to me, they're the best team. They're the front runner for the AFC still, even with their offensive line being what it is, because I like their the, the strides that their defense has made this year. And um, I like the Bengals a lot, man. I be, I'm a big believer in what Burrow can do, and and really that like things Zach Taylor is a nice coach as well. Um, shit, that fumble by Huntley on the goal line that was some. I ain't never seen no shit like that in 30 years of watching this shit, man. Never seen a fumble like like that on the goal line. Just that shit was crazy. That shit was right out of. Of a video. That that shit was like a maddening glitch. I had to rewind that shit back on the game pass about four times to believe that shit actually happened. It looked like some off a video game. This shit was crazy, y'all. Uh, but much respect to the Ravens. Uh, I seriously doubt Lamar will be back. Uh, I I can't see it, and I don't blame Lamar one bit for not playing. I mean, this brother about it. He got a sprained PCL. He need his legs to move. I mean, it ain't like the Ravens got a bunch of great weapons around him where he can just stand in the pocket and look cute and just throw that bitch. Nah, he, Lamar Jackson game is built off his legs, his movement. The Ravens offense, you know, more importantly, is built off his movement. <laughs> you know, built off his ability to run and move. So I think Lamar did the right thing, man. Hey, make sure you get your money, black man. Uh, what else? What was the other game? I'm missing a game. Shit. Um, damn, I am missing a game. Um, ah, oh, shit. Bills versus Dolphins. Man, this was a crazy-ass game. You had Mike McDaniels vaping on the sideline. Hey, look, whatever you got to do to get through the game with your, your third-string quarterback, <laughs> uh, man, you got to do it. Um, but much respect to the Dolphins, man, for going down – in that game, you're down 17 nothing, and just to, you know, have a, just the the guts to just keep keep hanging in there, hanging in there, and 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 you know any I think first of all I don't know how true these coach these rumors of him getting replaced are or not, but the Dolphins replaced him, man. He's come on, man. Like, I think this dude did did a hell of a job, even though the Dolphins stumbled down the stretch. But for a first-year head coach, um, you know, he put life into the Dolphins that they haven't had in a long time. Like, just he brought a a, a, a really nice – I love their offense uh, in Miami. I love watching them and how, how, they, how they utilize their players. 
Uh, they got an aggressive defense. So this is a lot to like about Miami. And for Buffalo, this is one of those games, if you Buffalo, um, that's going to, I think, actually going to help them in the long run because this is one of those games you they had to win. You know, you had to be able to win different games. You got to be able to win when you ain't got your best sometimes, when you're not rolling at your best. And I think that's what happened. Uh, Josh Allen had a couple of picks. And, and I think people got to live with that with Josh Allen because the good – is always gonna outweigh the bad. I don't care if he throw two or three picks. Josh Allen is gonna generate, he's gonna get you about 30, 35 points. Uh, so he's he's gonna make up for it. And But I think Buffalo puts too much on him. I think Buffalo would best be served if they lean on the run some more and you know give Josh Allen s- some more help in that sense. Because, you know, as a quarterback, man, he got everything on him. You know, he got a run. You know, they have design runs, the, the, you know, they're a pass first, pass second, pass third type of team. So uh, eventually you pass the ball that many times, man, you go have turnovers at some point. That's part of the game. That's part of the risk reward of passing, passing the ball that much. Uh, but, you know, Buffalo, I'm, I think they, they were able to get past this. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll play better. And I think more importantly, Josh Allen will pay, play better. And I think Josh Allen got something crazy like 17-3 to three touchdown interception ratio just in the playoffs. Guys, that shit crazy. So I think Buffalo will be fine. Uh, I still think the Bengals uh, are the front runner. But we're going to find that out right now. I got the Bengals over the Bills right now. I'm going to say that right now. I still believe the Bengals are going to be the team that goes to the Super Bowl after AFC. Last but not least, we have the Giants. And the Minnesota Vikings. You can take that horn and shove it. You know, last week on the podcast, I said the Vikings have a history of coming up short. When it matters the most. And, and lo and behold, what did they do? They came up short. Um, but in all seriousness, man, I think the Vikings went against, I think, a better team in the Giants. Um, I think the Vikings, you know, I talk a lot of shit about the Vikings, me being a Packer fan. That's man, that's just me tossing friendly fire, man. But in all seriousness, man, I think the Vikings had a hell of a season. You know, for them to get 11, what did they win, like 12 wins out of this team? With as bad a defense as they had, and just really Kirk Cousins like really coming up big, you know, when they needed to, when they needed him to, you know, in key spots during the regular season. Um, I think I think Minnesota had a hell of a year. I think they exceeded expectations. You know, going into the season, I thought this was a six or seven win team in Minnesota, uh, but for them to get that many wins, uh, it just shows that they're going into a great direction. Uh, and as a Packer fan, we're always going to have to deal with the Vikings. They're always going to be potentially like a 10, 11, 12 win team because they always have some, they always have talent there. Uh, to me, uh, they're our biggest rivals, not the Bears. They are because the Vikings, for the most part, they're generally always a good team. They always have talent and they always have like decent coaching. And we always have to generally go through them to win this division. And I think that's going to be the case next year. I think it's going to be uh, I, this division is going to be tough, man, between I expect a, a much improved Packer team. I think the Vikings were going to get better. I think the Vikings are going to address their defense. And the Lions uh, are up and coming as well. And then the Bears, too, are up and coming. Uh, for the Giants, uh, this is like a great year. Brian, Brian DeBall is – they hold the ball. Something. Anyway, man, that's the coach of the year right there. Uh, excellent coaching job, man. He um, – Daniel Jones has like saved his career, uh, and he's made himself a shitload of money. Saquon Barkley's a stud, but I actually like the Giants. D, uh, they are they are fun to watch, man. Uh, and I'm looking forward to um, watching how the Giants progress. The Giants are one of those teams where, to me, as a traditional NFL fan from back in the '80s, when the Giants are good, that means like the league is good. You know, um, it's something about the Giants when they're good. Uh, it's like in the NBA, when the Lakers are good, when the Celtics are good, when the Sixers are good, 
you know, it's just great for the league. And this is the, it's the same thing with the Giants. You know, they're a historic franchise, uh, generally, uh, you know, known as a class as class personified. Um, and outside of the outside of them beating my Packers in the playoffs a couple of times, I ain't got nothing against the Giants. We still all the Giants as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but, um, you know, just a great franchise. Um, you know, they're heading in a great direction. They're going to be tough for the Eagles. Um, it's particularly, uh, I'm, a, you know, I ain't going to get into the picks yet, but uh, I think we got, man, we go, we going to have some great divisional games next, next week. So, all right, let me get a drink of water real quick. Use the restroom. Go do a little bit of work. I'm reporting this podcast again at work. So I'll be right back. I got some more thoughts and opinion coming up. Welcome back, everybody. This would not be the mid-range game podcast if I didn't talk about some old school ball. And that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm taking y'all way back to 1997, the Western Conference semifinals, Sonics versus Rockets, Game 7. Uh, I actually came across this game online like a couple of ga- days ago, uh, watched it twice. Um, it's just It was an excellent game. Not the best played game, but it's what you expect from a Game 7, uh, you know, a highly contested, emotional chippy game both teams like leave, literally leaving it all on the line you know every drop of energy that they had sweat went into winning this per- game and you could see it uh on the tv and you know that's what i love about playoff games that's what i love about game sevens you know it shows you just how bad guys really want it and it shows you the guys you know shows you the levels in which guys are willing to go to to win and, you know, this game, we saw that in Barkley, you know, everybody that played this game, you know, they left it all on the line. Uh, be- but before I get even further into this game, for the Sonics and the Rockets, you got to rewind that shit way back because they go back. They go back a ways in playoff uh, history. Uh, going back to 87, uh, the Sonics knocked off the, the defending Western Conference champion Rockets in uh, seven games. Hakeem had some crazy uh, stat line in that game, too. Um, I think he had like 43, 17, and 8, some shit like that. But, you know, I remember that game very well. Uh, Seattle was led by their trio, uh, Tom Chambers, Xavier McDaniels. Dale Ellis, all three of those guys were well above, you know, 20 points a game, you know, on average scoring. So they had a fun trio. Uh, and I remember that series in particular because they often sent like three people at Hakeem. And the Rockets lost that because Hakeem just didn't have anybody else to help him out. Uh, this particular period for the Rockets uh, was not a good one. <laughs> um, they had a lot of drug issues off the court, you know, not with the King, uh, but just, you know, for m- most of the roster in general, like they had a lot of trouble with drugs. Um, and then also too, they, the Rockets were having trouble getting the right players around Hakeem and figuring out exactly what the fuck Hakeem needed around him. Because, you know, you got to do like a King. I mean, he does so much on his own. Um, you know, so they had to figure out how to put the right players around him, what the right players are. And eventually they actually did figure that out uh, by 93. But the problem was they ran into the 93 Sonics, uh, that Sonics team that took the Phoenix Suns uh, to seven games in the conference finals uh, that same year. Uh, they knocked out the Rockets in seven. Uh, once again, Hakeem, you know, had a outstanding series but it just wasn't enough uh seattle they just never had enough to beat seattle um you know fast forward to 96 uh seattle swept the rockets the defending champion rockets you know right off the court um so seattle was a problem for them seattle was just one of those teams that for whatever reason, Houston could not match up with. And every team has that team that they that for whatever reason, you just cannot match, that they have trouble matching up with. 
Um, you know, the Bulls had that trouble with the Knicks uh, for a while, which is why the Knicks gave them so much trouble uh, because it was a matchup thing. Uh, you know, I'm a Heat fan. We had that same problem with the fucking Knicks for, for the late 90s. Uh, and then, you know, in the Braun Heat, the Heatles era, we had the same issues with Indiana, even though we were significantly more, you know, even though we we had more talent at the top of our roster. It was just how Indiana was constructed. Uh, they were constructed. Their strengths were our weaknesses. And it was always a tough matchup uh, f- for us when we played the Pacers. And, you know, that happens. Seattle was definitely that team for the Rockets. Uh, and the biggest issue for the Rockets was they just didn't have anybody that could that could match up with Kemp. Uh, that could, like, battle Kemp. And, you know, 96 playoffs in particular, Kemp averaged 24 a game in those playoffs. Uh, and that's the thing with Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp, uh, whatever, however... Good, great he was in the regular season he normally he took his game up a notch in the playoffs uh and the 96 run uh was no exception i mean he 96 he outplayed you know he outplayed malone uh outplayed hakeem he outplayed Rodman in the finals uh sean kent was the second best player in the series in the 96 finals um rain man should be a Hall of Famer, third best, third greatest power forward of his era. Um, but I'm going to go on a rule Sean Kemp rant later, but I'm going to finish this setup. So, yeah, um, so fast forward, uh, 90, 97, the Rockets get Barkley uh, via trade, and they bring in Barkley, and Barkley was supposed to be the missing the missing piece that they needed to not only get them past Seattle, but, you know, get them to the finals because the Rockets looked at Seattle as like their only threat uh, to get to the finals. So they got Barkley. So they looked at it as if, OK, now we're good. Now we're now we're a championship contender. And, you know, this was a time, you know, the Rockets big three of Clyde and Hakeem and Barkley. You know, people at this time considered them. A super team, although I don't because all those guys were past their prime. You know, even when the Rockets acquired Clyde, I thought Clyde was declining, still, still outstanding, you know, still a top five guard. But he to me, he was definitely in decline uh, by that time. And and I think Hakeem started declining by 96. And, you know, by 97, he continued that decline. Um, and Barkley had definitely declined. Um, and it really sticks out in this game watching it because, you know, Barkley missed so many bunnies that would have been like dunks like two years prior. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, it's it's always it's always, you know, it's as a fan, it's always tough to see your your to see, you know, your favorite players aging and and it's when they're not as dominant as they are, expect well. I mean, unless you're the, you know, unless you're a LeBron fan, um, but uh, you know, it's tough, man. You know, and I'm a big Barkley fan. You know, I just, I said he's my, my five, one of my favorite five players in the podcast a few months ago, and you know, it, it was tough, man. You know, not seeing Charles missing bunnies and bunnies, and you know, just not being able to get his feet off the ground. But yet, it did. But yet, he was still good enough to dominate the second half of this of this game and I'm going to get to that shortly. So, uh this game starts out uh, obviously I said game 7. Um Rockets actually got led this series 3-1. Uh Seattle played like scrambled like crazy to tie this series up at 3 apiece. Um and really the biggest thing for Seattle was um their lack of depth. Uh but when Hershey Hawkins uh normally showed up they won, you know, their, their two games that they won, Hershey Hawkins showed up and, um, you know, he, he chipped in and performed, uh, and then the games that they lost, it was basically just, you know, camp and GP out there, uh, basically by themselves on offense. 
Seattle lack of depth was also a problem as this series went on. Seattle started, you could see it too. Seattle was running out of gas. Uh, and especially the type of defense they play. They played a trapping defense, an aggressive style of defense. So you don't have any depth on your bench to, to you know, get, to give guys breaks. Guys are going to wear down playing that style of defense. And that's what, that's what happened as this series went on. Uh, but it also is a testament to how excellent Seattle's trapping defense was, particularly in this era. You know, the, the Seattle... Uh, for so many years, they led the league in steals. You know, this team was getting like 10, 11, 12 steals a game, shit like that. You know, in 90, what was it, 93, they, they averaged nine steals a game. 90, 94, that shit went up to 10 steals a game. 95, 11 steals a game, you know. So they, they knew how to generate steals. And Seattle, as you know, especially on, you know, on their 93 through 96 teams, they get they guess it just had a wave of perimeter defenders like obviously you know GP but then also too at one point they had Kendall Gill on the perimeter and then you have Nate McMillan on the perimeter along with them um, man that's that's a nightmare and then you guys Kemp the Kemp also back there to kind of protect the paint and, and as athletic as he was in the ground that he could create and still protect the basket their defense was a motherfucker and. And as, as I'm going to get to um, in this game, so tip off, uh, Houston Rockets starting five, Matt Maloney, the immortal Matt Maloney, um, Clyde the Glad, small four, Super Mario Ellie, um, one of the best role players that you could ever that you could ever have on your team. Somebody that was just not afraid of the moment at all and, and not afraid to, to, to lay somebody out. Uh, going to the hole. Uh, just a tough, hard-nosed player, man. He gave you everything he got. Power for Chuck. And then that center, you got Hakeem, the dream Olajuwon. And for the Sonics, you know, GP. This series was a very, was an excellent GP series offensively. If you want to know, know what Jerry Payton was about, uh, particularly offensively, this is a great series for that because Gary Payton got to show exactly how talented and how skilled he was offensively um, in this series. Uh, you know, GP averaged about 24 in the series. Um, he was like the one, he was like the main consistent guy uh, for Seattle. Um, and generally, man, GP always wanted to smoke in the playoffs. He was one of them dudes that he didn't run away from the ball. He ran to it and let everybody know he wanted that motherfucker. Uh, two guard, you got Hershey Hawkins. Uh, like I just mentioned, uh, when he played well, they won. And when he didn't, they lost. Um, you know, Deadless Shrimp, big fan of Deadless Shrimp. Uh, very smooth game. You know, one of those guys, 16, 230, you know, really good hand loot, could post up, shoot, all that shit. Uh, I always, I always kind of refer to him as like the German Pippen. Uh, but that's kind of the kind of player he was. Uh, uh, Detlef was a, was a damn good player. And then, of course, Sean Kemp, power forward, third best power forward in the 90s, should be in the Hall of Fame along with his with his tag team partner, Gary Payton. And then, of course, at center, they actually were starting Sam Perkins. Uh, Big smooth, as they call him. So, all right, tip off. Um, and just, I'm going to just go ahead and fast forward a few minutes into the game. Houston comes out. They're trying to establish the inside right off the bat. They come out and giving it to Hakeem. And one thing is pretty fucking clear. Hakeem ain't passing that motherfucker. Like, and I always, I... I I don't know if this is me, but I could kind of tell. I always felt like when Hakeem, when you get a ball to Hakeem in the post and he have his head down, that means he ain't passing that ball at all. You got to send three people at him to pass that motherfucker. Because if you send two, Hakeem still going to turn and shoot that bitch. Uh, Hakeem was hell bent on coming out and just establishing his presence in this game. Because in the first quarter of game six, man, Hakeem only had two points. He got two shots. <laughs> So Hakeem wasn't taking no fucking chances. He's like, give me the motherfucking ball. I'm still that dude. And Hakeem delivered. Hakeem had uh, eight points in the first quarter. They got him off to a good start. 
Uh, Barkley got off to a slow start. Um, he missed a lot of bunnies, man. And he started out actually one for six. Um, he had about three rebounds. Um, you know, this was like midway through the second quarter. And then, you know, they show Chuck on the bench. He's just like, what the fuck? Because me being a Charles Barkley fan, and I think everybody that know everybody that was a Charles Barkley fan know just how much this shit meant to Charles. Just how much Charles wanted to fucking win. And that came clear. Like, Charles wanted to win more than anything else. And, you know, you can see his frustration as they showed him on the bench, like, midway through the second quarter. So, um, at the end of the first quarter, though, um, Seattle actually led 31-30. Basically, for Seattle, it was the GP and Camp Show. Both of them dudes had 11 apiece. And for Houston, it was basically about Hakeem. Uh, Matt Maloney hit a couple of wide open shots. Uh, Drexler knocked down a couple of shots, but um, it was really about Houston establishing themselves uh, off inside offensively. Um, now in the second quarter, um, now this is where you know both teams started getting cold, and I think this is where the fatigue started to come in because both these teams have been busting their asses this entire series and. And um, you could tell it. And by the second quarter, like, that hot start offensively, that shit started to cool down instantly. Uh, both these teams went through a stretch of, like, two or three minutes where they couldn't hit a shot. Um, and I think for – and, you know, Seattle led by as much as four points. And I think this was a point in time when this game where Seattle had an opportunity to really put the pressure on – Houston, them being a home team, them being a favorite, they could have really put some a pressure on them to perform and get their shit together had they been able to just knock down a few shots. Uh, but, hey, that's how the ball rolled. Uh, Houston just kind of went through the motions for half of this quarter. I mean, um, Houston staff started off establishing the inside game, but they just completely got away from it. Uh, even with it came on the floor. And then finally, I don't know if Rudy T called a timeout halfway through the second quarter and just or or Akeem just just said in, in fucking Swahili, give me the fucking ball. I'm tired of running up this fucking court. Y'all want me to block some shots. Y'all want me to play some damn defense. Give me the fucking ball. And then, and then after the timeout, there, there we go. They started feet giving Akeem the ball. Um, and Houston was able to able to get going. Uh, but this was a tight game throughout, you know, the first half, you know, uh, first half, Houston led by two, um, 52-50. And uh, this was just really just shaping out to be kind of like a like a classic boxing match, man. Like two sluggers going at it. Uh, like one of them, uh, like this was like the thriller in Manila, man. You know, after... You know, after so many rounds where Ali and Four Ali and Frazier just got tired and just they were just so beaten up. And that's kind of how this game progressed. You know, you look at the third quarter, this is where Houston kind of started to really separate themselves from here. Uh Clyde Drexler got it going. Clyde got off to a a, a not good start. Uh, he started out like two for seven, but he got it going in the third quarter. And, you know, Clyde just had played an excellent all-around game, um, seven rebounds, uh, seven assists. One of the better, one of the best all-around guards that you will ever see. Very highly underrated. Let me tell you something. Clyde Drexler, well, anytime you put up for 27, 7, and 5 for damn near a decade, lead your team to two finals appearances in three years, during one of the more competitive eras in the NBA, because, uh, I mean, you can look at it. Clyde got the Blazers to the finals twice with Jordan in the league, with Magic, with Zeke, you know, with Bird, you know, with Hakeem, you know, with all these Hall of Famers. And yet Clyde was able to lead the Blazers to the finals and had the Blazers, you know, as the team in the in the West. Um the man is a top five. To me, he's a top five two guard ever. Just excellent all around. Uh, excellent rebounder, passer. Um, you know, competed defensively. You know, just um, he was the West Coast Jordan. 
that's the best that's the best compliment I can give him. And although he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Jordan, he wasn't on that level, he's still an amazing player and somebody that should definitely get the flowers that he deserves as one of the top five guard two guards ever. But yeah, Clyde came to ball in this third quarter. He has seven. Uh, Barkley, the biggest difference in this game was Barkley. Uh, Barkley dominated the third quarter. Um, you know, Chuck um, Chuck started out one for six, but uh, he finished strong and ended up finishing with 20 points in this game, seven to 12. I uh, mean, man had like 14 boards. It felt like in the second half, Charles Barkley got every fucking rebound there was inside. Like, it just felt like Charles took this game over. Um, just uh, like he started off taking this game over on the boards. And then that then that translated to his offensive game. And then he got it going offensively, uh, was able to put a foul or two on camp. Uh, but he was able to finish like the bunnies that he was missing. Even had one where he took it coast to coast like he used to do back in the Philly days. You know, although he didn't finish it with a fucking two-hand dunk, he finished it with a layup. But still, it was like, it was nice to see Chuck, you know, on the, on the fast break again. Because I used to love Barkley, man. When he would be on the fast break when he was in Philly, it was like a freight train, man. No, couldn't, wasn't nobody in the world standing in front of Charles Barkley trying to take, take a charge. With that man with a full head of steam. Uh, but Barkley took the game over in the third quarter. Uh, he ended up finishing with 20 points. And then that's Seattle went through like a crazy scoring sh- drop where they missed 17 of 18 shots uh, between the, the last couple of minutes of the third quarter and, and like the first four or five minutes of the fourth quarter. They couldn't hit a fucking shot. Uh, Sean Kemp. Um, like he had 15 in the first half. Um, he had finished with five. Um, he was just nowhere to be be found. Um, he just Barkley completely outplayed him in the second half. Um, Hakeem picked up where he left off in the first half. Um, and but down the stretch of this game, um, when it like Houston actually had this game in hand, they were up by like 14 at one point, 84-70. So Seattle, as a last gasp, they rolled out their their trapping defense again, and and they woo, and Seattle got got a bunch of turnovers, bunch of easy points. Hershey Hawkins, that was a Hershey Hawkins sighting. He scored five five or seven points uh, during this little mini run, and Seattle actually cut this fucking lead down to five, um, 89-84. Uh, and you know, so Houston has the ball. Um, it's a double team pass. Houston passes along perimeter. My Matt Maloney hits like a back breaking three, make it 92 uh, 84. And Houston from there is able, it looks like Houston is able to hang on from there. However, what happens is, again, Houston starts turning the ball over again the last couple of minutes of this game, and they start breaking free throws. <laughs> So they Seattle cuts this lead down to two. Uh, and then from there, Seattle just kind of runs out of time and Houston's able to make enough free throws and hang on. Uh, but this this was a this was an outstanding game, man. You know, both teams by the second half, uh, especially Seattle. Seattle was exhausted, man. But it says it says a lot about, you know, the the heart of of the Sonics that as exhausted as they were. They never quit. They they kept fighting and they got back in this game. And Houston um, hung on by a thread. Uh, but I think that's where their veteran experience creeped in. Uh, when you got guys like Hakeem Barkley and Drexel on the same team, man, they've been there, done that shit. They not going to get rattled. They not going to get frustrated. They all been there. Um, they all been there individually. Uh, so... But yeah, um, I just want to talk about that game. That was a that was a really, really good game, uh, and I just want to talk about a few of the players too as well, particularly uh, Drexel and particularly Kemp too, um, and GP. Um, off, like I said, offensively, 
Uh, this was a great GP series. If you just want, if y'all just want to just kind of look at what Gary Payton was about offensively and like all everything he had in his bag, it was on display, you know, in this game and in this series. Um, Gary had a Gary had a deep bag, uh, so it was great to watch, man. Love old school ball. That's what this podcast is primarily about. Um, once again, this mission statement is to keep the players and the teams and the errors of the past alive and well today. So, all right, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to go ahead and pick these games for the weekend. Welcome back, back everybody. Match. Still tripping, man. Sean Kemp ain't in the damn Hall of Fame, man. Ah, that's that's crazy. That's that's just crazy to me, man. I got I got such a problem with you know not just the NBA, you know the Basketball Hall of Fame, I should say, but I got a problem with the NFL Hall of Fame too, and like how they select the players and how they do things, even who they have selecting the the players, because I don't necessarily think that's fair. But that's that's something for a different day. I just know, look, this dude Sean Kent, third best power forward of his era. I mean, there are t- serious in the playoffs where he played Barkley, Malone, Hakeem, where he was able to raise his game up close to their level, and in some cases he outplayed them. You know, as I said, you know, in the, as I said before when I was going over uh, what. You know, Kemp did in 96 at the very start of uh, my breakdown on on the Seattle Rockets series. Kemp was able to do that. Kemp was a bad man. You know, you look at his game, man. You know, this dude was 6'10", 240. I mean, he could jump out the damn gym. Freak athlete. Uh, developed an all-around game. He had a nice post, back to this basket post game, but he had a killer face-up game developed a killer mid-range jump shot he could put the ball on the floor he was a guy that could take get the rebound and he often used to like push the ball in transition himself and then finish at 16 you if i could describe him for somebody that's never really seen him play um he was basically like a better version of pete blake griffin that's the best way I could put him. A better version of Pete Blake Griffin. Uh, but like I said, he was better than Blake, in my opinion. I mean, look at his run in 96. Kemp, you know, had, in the playoffs especially, Kemp elevated his game. In 96, the man averaged 24 a game in the playoffs. Uh, you can look at uh, the year before that, in 95, he raised his level to, to 21 a game. And he only and he was averaging 18 in the in the series uh, in this regular season, I should say. Um, so he only had really had one bad kind of playoff series, and that was in 94 against uh, the the Nuggets, and that was particularly the last three games. That's when Matumbo just turned into like. A, a big ass mountain that just blocked the entire rim, and nobody could, for Seattle could, could hit anything. Outside of that series, you know, Kemp brought it, man. He was a playoff. He was a playoff beast. You know, that I just think that man should be in the Hall of Fame, man. Third greatest power forward of his era, <clears throat> in an era with really good power forwards. I mean, Barkley Malone, you know. You know, the list goes on. You all know him, so put that man in the Hall of Fame. And, I, you know, whatever KJ did off the court or whatever, look, I know Kevin Johnson's a Hall of Famer. Everybody that's seen him play, know anything about him, know he's a Hall of Famer on the court. If y'all don't want to give him a Hall of Fame ceremony or not invite him there, that's fine, but I still think he should get the title Hall of Famer uh, because what he did off the court, I mean, he didn't do it on the court. He, he didn't wasn't doing nothing sexual on the court, like in the middle of the game. I just feel like it should be separated, and that's part of my problem with the 
Hall of Fame, especially with more so with the NFL Hall of Fame in that respect. Uh, I think it should be separated. But I'm going to get into that on a different day anyway. Uh, I'm talking divisional games, NFL. Uh, it's going down, y'all. Uh, I love divisional weekend. Uh, just like wild card weekend is great, but even better than wild card weekend. We always get excellent games because obviously we're getting better and better teams now. You know, once you get past the first round, you know, they weed themselves out. Now we're getting to like the really good teams now. So we're going to get even higher quality of games. Um, it's going to be harder hitting, more emotion, everything that goes along with being in the playoffs. Uh, and it being the NFL, y'all know it's going to be some shit that happens that we don't expect it to happen, and it's going to change the outcome of, of some games. So I'm going to just stop flapping my fucking gums, and I'm going to get right to it. All right, first game I'm going to pick is uh, Giants versus Eagles. Um, I'm, I mean, I know the Eagles have been pretty much the best team in the NFC for, for much of the year. However, uh, you know, Hurts, you know, just coming back. Uh, and I know as well as Philly can run the ball, as great as they can do that, as great as their O-line is, I just, I don't know about a quarterback having to come, that hasn't really played that much over the last few weeks, having to come back into a playoff game uh, with a team as well coached as the Giants are. That player coming, that quarterback coming into a playoff game, there has to be some rust there. And I know the Eagles don't exactly have a timing passing game, you know, but still, there has, I would think there has to be some rust there. Uh, and that worries me. That makes me uneasy. And I know Philly defense is good, but I think they can be, I think they can be ran on. Just like most, I think most defenses in the NFL now can be ran on because they're so much lighter, they're so much faster. Um, you know, we gone on the days where you have like 300 pound D linemen. You know, now you got D linemen that's basically about 270, 280. You know, linebackers used to be like 260, 270s. Now they're like 220, 230. So I think if any team consistently does it enough, they can be ran upon. Um, but I, I just this is a this is this is a gut feeling pick, man. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Giants. Um, I think the Giants will be able to run the ball enough to keep Philly offense off the field. I don't think Philly is gonna need need a bit of time. I think there will be some rust there with Philly, and I think that rust, and I think that I think that rust is gonna be a problem because I. For some reason, man, this is a gut feeling. I think the Giants are going to get off to a fast start, kind of jump ahead of Philly and force them into a position where they have to kind of start throwing the ball a little more than they may, than they may like to do. So I'm going to go with the Giants on the upset. Uh, Bengals uh, versus Bills. To me, this decides the winner of the AFC right here. Uh, this is the game. Um, if for the Bills, the only thing – that what concerns me about the Bills is Josh Allen. I think this is a game where Josh Allen cannot turn the ball over not once. If he does that, the Bills will lose. Uh, as good as this Buffalo Bill team is, and they can overcome turnovers, they're not going to be able to overcome that against Cincinnati. And as beat up as Cincinnati O-line is, as we saw last year, with number nine under center, they always got a shot. They're going to be able to score enough points to be able to scare the fuck out of a team and be in the game and be able to win the game. Um, Burrow is that damn good for this, you know, for somebody. He's amazing at playing behind a beat-up-ass offensive line with very little protection. Um, you know, his ability to get shit done and and just the, the players, man, they got ballers on Sensi, man. They got guys that could just, their receivers chase. T. Higgins, I mean, them guys can just fucking take over a game. Um, and then I also like Cincy defense too, but I don't think they're as good as Buffalo defense. I think, I think, huh, damn. 
I think these teams are even, man. But I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Cincinnati here. I think I think Josh Allen. I think Buffalo is gonna have a turnover, and it's gonna cost them this game. I think this is a game where Buffalo. It would be best if they run the ball more than they normally do, but I doubt that they do that. Uh, I like I said before, I think they put too much pressure on Josh Allen to have to do everything offensively for them. You know, they expect him to run a certain for a certain amount of yards, and then he has to throw the ball 40, 45 times. I think that that's too much, man. I think if Buffalo had more of like a 57, 43 pass run split, and that would be like maybe. 20 to 25 carries a game, something like that. I think that would serve them better. They would be even more difficult to stop offensively. But I expect them to turn the ball over. As I said, I got the Bengals. Uh, Jacksonville versus KC. Uh, First of all, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. Um, For what he did with... I think as little as he has around him, outside of Kelsey, um, I mean they gotta go to the line now. But outside of Kelsey, I don't see like a like a a near Pro Bowl caliber weapon on their team, man, on their offense. This is basically who the fucking Chiefs have been for the last few years. You know they basically been Mahomes, they've been Hill, they've been Kelsey, they've been Reed. Chris Jones, Honey Badger. That's it. They were a six-man team for years now. And, you know, so you subtract a couple of them names. So basically, it's Mahomes, <laughs> Reed, Kelsey, Chris Jones, Steve Spagnola. So they're a five-man team, two coaches, three players. And because that dude, Mahomes, is so damn cold, and he's able to elevate the people around him and how he can extend plays, man. And, you know, I've said this before, man. To me, he's like, he's Fran Tarkenton. Like, when I watch him scrambled around, he reminds me of Fran Tarkenton. How Fran Tarkenton used to fucking run all the way backwards and shit and, like, back, you know, it was, like, crazy. But that's how Mahomes does. He's, like, fucking magician, man. He He's able to, like, make plays and he's so accurate and then he has such an arm. Uh, but he makes really great decisions. To me, he's like the AFC Rodgers of the tens. You know, when Rodgers, you know, was was really at his peak and he was putting up, you know, 38, 39 touchdown years and three or four picks, you know, 45, 4,800 yards shit. And, and, you know, leading the Packers to 12 and 13 win seasons. That's that's what Mahomes is, is at right now, man. He's like the AFC Rodgers of the tens, uh, just an amazing talent, man. F- fucking Kelsey, love fucking Kelsey. Um, just one of the great tight ends ever, man. He just balls in playoff games, makes big catches. Uh, and Chris Jones is a beast. Steve Backspank, know that I love him, but um, always has um, ever since he was the Giants coordinator, man. He's one of the great defensive. Uh, coaches ever but that being said i got the jacksonville jaguars man i think they're gonna pull the upset i think the jags defense is good enough to cause kc problems and i think kc problems um will be exposed in this game and to me i don't think they can stretch the field uh enough defense uh enough offensively uh i know uh the running back that they got um you know that kid is pretty good uh but he doesn't scare me, man. Like, I, to me, I just it's this is a gut feeling pick, man. And the Jags are a very well coached team, and and I don't expect Trevor Lawrence to come out here and throw uh, three picks, you know, throw four picks against the damn Chiefs defense in Arrowhead. Uh, I know this is his first road game, but I just got a gut feeling, man, that this that the Jags are going to end up winning this fucking game. It's just a gut feeling pick, man. No rhyme or reason. It's just all, it's just all a good feeling pick. Last but not least, to me, this is going to be the best fucking game of the weekend. This game, to me, is going to decide who goes to the Super Bowl. This is the main event. This is like mania right here. Cowboys versus Niners. I mean, NFL fans, if y'all are, 
you know, fairly new NFL fans or, you know, haven't been on this earth, you know, that long to watch NFL, man, I, I encourage you guys to just look up Cowboys versus Niner games and content, man, because it's really one of the great rivalries ever. And whenever they get together, it's especially special because it's normally always a championship at state. You, you look at the... Um, when the Niners beat them in 81 to advance to their first Super Bowl NFC Championship game. When the Niners played them in 92, 93, and 94, they were literally the top two teams in the league, and the Super Bowl was at stake. Whoever won those games was going to win the Super Bowl. It was, it was, That shit was just like written in fucking stone. And, you know, even last year, we had a great game. It looked like the Niners were about to go to the Super Bowl when the Rams you know, pulled the rug from under them. But uh, Cowboys and Niners last year, great game, a lot of drama. Uh, and it's just a great, it's just a great, great rivalry, man. Uh, and I love the matchup. And this this game is going to be nothing uh, different. Uh, I expect this to be the game of the weekend. This is going to be a, a classic matchup uh, because I look at the Dallas Cowboys. I think them beating the Tampa, the way they beat Tampa is going to help them tremendously. And I think it's going to, I think it may have helped them get some confidence. Uh, and confidence and talent is a scary thing. And I got a gut feeling that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win this game. Uh, the Niners, I think the Niners are a slightly better team, but these, both of these teams are loaded. To me, these are like the best rosters in the, in the NFC right here. Uh, defense, I think it's going to be a low scoring game, something like 14, something like 17, 14, something like that. Uh, or like 17, 20, something along those lines for low scoring for today's league. Uh, for the Niners, uh, if I'm a Niner fan, as as confident as you should be, you should also be nervous because I would imagine if I were a Niner fan, I'd be nervous as fuck about which Cal Shanahan I'm gonna get uh, because Cal Shanahan he can get a little bit too cute and a little too aggressive at the wrong time, and it's cost them the Super Bowls. You know, you could get when they lost against the Chiefs uh, when he was the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator. Dav had to do with him too because in all the all the Falcons had to do basically was just run. All they had to do was just hand off and run, run, punt. Even with what the Patriots were doing offensively, they would have ran out of time. But because he got aggressive and didn't and just really mismanaged the game that cost him. And I think he mismanaged uh, the the Super Bowl against the Chiefs as well uh, down the stretch. Um, it was just put the ball in j- just too many passes. And when you didn't really necessarily need to pass, when it was just best to eat the clock, you're in like six minutes left and you got like a double-digit lead. You turn and hand that ball off. But instead, you know, you're passing. So I, I look at last week. I called him Cal Martz, as in Mike Martz, because, you know, he come out with a third-year quarterback in a playoff game. Not a third year, but a third-string rookie quarterback in a playoff game. It's like, whoa, wait a minute, man. This motherfucker throwing the ball all over the field. Like, no, this ain't Kurt Warner, man. You're not Mike Martz. Like, slow that shit down. Take a page out your dad playbook, Mike. Mike would have turned to hand that fucking ball off <laughs> until they stopped him. Especially with a rookie quarterback, absolutely. Mike would have turned to hand that ball off, and as soon as the safeties would have creeped down, it would have been some bootleg play-action passes. So as long as Cal doesn't get too cute, just remember that they need to run the ball. This ain't the Seahawks defense. This is actually a defense on the field in, in the Cowboys. Seahawks ain't have a defense. They have basically a bunch of just... They got a long way to go up there on defense in Seattle. That's the best way I can put that. But, 
man, you look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys got some, they got some boys on defense. So do the Niners. So this is gonna be a great game. I just feel like if the Niners will be the Niners will be best if Kyle Shanahan just remembers to be balanced. Turn the hand that ball off to McCaffrey and the rest of the backs. And let Brock get, ease himself into the game slowly instead of trying to take force him into the game and force him to take over the game, which is coming out storm trying to throw the ball all over the place. And I promise you, if they do that, Brock was shaky against Seattle. And at, at times, I guarantee you, if, if they if Kyle Shanahan does that, come out with that same approach versus the Cowboys, the Cowboys will take one. They will pick it off. And they want to take one of those picks to the house. Well, overall, I just think Dallas, I got I give Dallas the edge. Um, I think this is a game that if you're a Cowboys fan, this is actually a game where you should want the Cowboys to run that bitch 30, 35 times. Um, but I also expect Dak Prescott. But, man, it's a gut feeling, man. I expect Dak to to pick up exactly where he left off against Tampa. I expect Dak to play well. I think he, he's probably going to have a turnover. But, hey, turnovers are a part of the game. But the way these quarterbacks are throwing it, you know, turnovers are just a part of it. I remember, like, 10 years ago, you know, you used to have quarterbacks that was throwing, like, 15, 17, 18 picks. And, you know, that weren't looked at as being, like, high turnover players. You know, so I don't know what's changed in that regard. But I look at, you know, I had to kind of step back at the – the last podcast I did when I said, you know, Dak turned the ball over a lot. And, and then I think, okay, is 15 interceptions really a lot and you throw the ball as much as they throw it, throw it now? Probably, you know, no, I don't think it's a lot, but it's about where those turn. I think it's more about where those turnovers happen. You don't want them turnovers to happen on your end of the field for sure. Um, and you don't want it to be fumbles either, um, especially unforced fumbles. Um, but I'm gonna go with the Cowboys here um, to go to advance, and I think it's gonna be Cowboys and Eagles. Uh, excuse me, Cowboys and Giants in the NFC title game, and I think it's gonna be Jags versus uh, Bengals in the AFC title game. All right, so those are my picks, gut picks, picks with my head, picks with a little bit of knowledge, but overall. I'm going to throw my hands up in there, see what happened. But I'm going to enjoy these games, man. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe. See you on the other side. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Range Game Podcast, you all. Take care.